the voter fraud no one is talking about. Mr. Reagan. Since the moment Republicans shouted election fraud after the 2020 election night fiasco, Democrats have been claiming that there is no evidence of, quote, widespread election fraud. There is no evidence of widespread voter fraud that would change the outcome of the election. There has been no evidence of widespread voter fraud in the 2020 election. There's no proof of widespread voter fraud. Well, ladies and gentlemen, now we've got it. We have got the evidence. This is all due to the amazing reporting of Ben Wetmore and Patty McMurray and, of course, Jim Hoft over at the Gateway Pundit. This is the smoking gun, folks. It's a smoking gun of widespread voter fraud in Michigan and also indicates widespread voter fraud across the country. Now, this should be the biggest story in the country right now, and yet no one is covering it. The only one I've seen pick up the story in any significant way is Steve Bannon. No mainstream news organizations have covered this at all. Now, I'll break down this voter fraud, and I will explain all of this in one moment. First, of course, I have to sell you something. Donald Trump has been indicted, processed, and his mugshot taken, all because Democrats claim that Donald Trump has been lying about the 2020 election. Democrats claim that Donald Trump knows deep in his heart that the 2020 election was totally legitimate. It was perfect. There was no fraud at all. President Trump knew the truth. He knew he had lost the election. Trump wanted to overturn the results despite knowing within days of the election that he had lost. Donald Trump lost an election and knew he lost an election. They claim that his statements about election fraud have always been lies. Now, they don't claim that Donald Trump has made any kind of a mistake here. No, no. Their claim is that despite Donald Trump consistently and strongly asserting and reasserting his belief that the 2020 election was rigged, really, he knows the election was totally fair and he has been intentionally lying. This is, of course, despite zero evidence. Democrats insist that you'll never be able to know what Donald Trump is thinking by asking him or by asking his close friends or his supporters or fellow Republicans. No, no, no. You will only ever be able to know truly what Donald Trump is thinking by asking Democrats, his political enemies. <laughs> They're the only ones who actually know. They're somehow the ultimate authorities on what Donald Trump is thinking. Now, of course, we all know this is nonsense. We all know that Donald Trump genuinely believes that the 2020 election was stolen. And you know that all their absurd claims about Donald Trump's so-called big lie are just an attempt to keep him off the ballot in 2024. You all know that. But the Democrats are relentless. The Democrats are corrupt. And the Democrats will do anything, legal or otherwise, in order to stay in power. And so we must not simply expose their corruption. We must produce such overwhelming evidence of Trump's innocence that even gullible Democrat voters will finally be convinced of the truth. And so what if I told you that now we have proof of widespread voter fraud in favor of Joe Biden. The smoking gun that Democrat politicians and so-called journalists have insisted does not exist since November of 2020. What if I told you we've got it? Well, then not only would we be able to prove that Donald Trump is innocent of this big lie nonsense, but we might even be able to prove that he actually won in 2020. Let's get into it. In October 8th, 2020, a black female identifying herself as Brianna Hawkins dropped off a massive dump of voter registration applications at the Muskegon, Michigan City Clerk's Office. It is estimated that Hawkins delivered between eight and 10,000 voter registration applications. These applications were immediately flagged as fraudulent 
and the police were called. The police then followed Brianna Hawkins back to her office, which they then raided. In these offices, police found guns, silencers, burner phones, prepaid cash cards, and of course, partially filled out voter registration applications. October of 2020, some women brought in some stacks of these registrations in Muskegon, Michigan, into the city clerk's office. We're talking about tens of thousands, we believe. But in that office, the, the report says eight to 10,000. And the city clerk noticed that they all had the same handwriting. She contacted the state police. They started an investigation. They found the two offices locally that where they were filling out these registrations. The police then raided one of these offices. When they went into these offices, Steve, um, they found semi-automatic weapons, they found silencers, they found bags of these prepaid cash cards, they found burner phones. It's unbelievable, this story. And, and we also know that this group had several offices across Michigan. The case was referred to the FBI, who promptly buried it. They turned it over to the FBI. And you know what happened, Steve? This, is, this will shock you, but um, it, um, it, it died. The last update was, I believe, in 2022. And it says that it's still being investigated. So you know what that means, Steve. Nothing's being done. They have done nothing with this, just like Hunter's laptop that goes to the FBI and then disappears. So um, this is just another instance that shows that our FBI is against the people of this country and they're participating in stealing the elections. I think we found the culprits here. Now, keep in mind that these were not fraudulent ballots. These were fraudulent voter registration applications. But a great way to get legitimate ballots that you would then fill in fraudulently would be to get a lot of fake voter registrations processed. So when we're talking about voter fraud, this is one step in the process of rigging an election. This is just as serious as if they'd found boxes full of fake ballots. They were filling out registrations. This is, you know, they, they need these bloated voter rolls in order to cheat and steal. Yes. And I believe that. That's, that's yes. you know, something I firmly believe. No, it's the predicate. When you get the, to get the mail-in, the phony ba- ballot harvesting, the mail-in ballots, the predicate, you got to get the phony registrations. That's what they're doing in the college towns. That's what they did in Nevada. That's what they did in Pennsylvania. That's what they've done. That is a predicate. It has to be done. The organization that Brianna Hawkins was working for turned out to be a left-wing campaign consulting company called GBI Strategies. And this is where things get interesting. GBI Strategies is a political campaign consulting company run by Gary Bell. And according to an organization called Compo Group, Gary Bell runs 70 operations in 20 states. 20 states. This is an organization, GBI Strategies. It's a registration organization funded by Democrats. This organization, this single organization, GBI Strategies, was operating in 20 different states. Just imagine how many millions of potential fraudulent ballots alone came from this organization. We also know that this, this same group and its uh, GBI strategies had offices in other swing states. So if Gary Bell's job was to rig the presidential election in Michigan, you can bet money that his job was also to rig the presidential election in all the 20 states in which he was operating. GBI strategies was funded by a super PAC called Black PAC. 
BlackPack paid GBI Strategies, get this, over $11 million in 2020 to register voters. $11 million. Black PAC, this organization that funds Democrat causes, it says it's Black PAC. It's actually funded by white liberals. They donated, according to the FEC, $11 million in 2020 to GBI Strategies. That's a whole lot of money for people going out and creating a whole lot of registration, Steve. Now, GBI Strategies has also been paid directly by the DNC and, of course, the Joe Biden presidential campaign. Now, a few so-called fact-check sites have attempted to cast doubt on the legitimacy of this story. But this reporting by the Gateway Pundit has just been confirmed by a left-wing newspaper in Michigan called the Detroit News. The Detroit News reached out to the office of the radically left attorney general there in Michigan, and her press secretary confirmed the fraudulent eight to 10,000 voter registration applications. So we've got solid physical evidence of election fraud on a major scale in Michigan. And the organization that has committed this election fraud operates in 20 states. Again, the left keeps insisting that we have no evidence of, quote, widespread election fraud. Well, here it is. This guy, Gary Bell, is clearly one of the DNC's top henchmen for voter fraud. The question, of course, is how extensive was the voter fraud conducted by GBI Strategies and Gary Bell? But I think an even more critical question is how many other Gary Bells are out there? How many other election fraud operations has the DNC and the Biden campaign funded directly or indirectly? A sincere investigation by an even halfway decent investigative organization would uncover all of this. But no such investigation has occurred. No one has even been arrested for this. As I mentioned before, this election fraud investigation was turned over to the FBI. The FBI creating fake crimes and burying real ones since 1908. So, Ben, I'd love to get the sort of boots on the ground perspective of what happened when you went to the city clerk's office. I'm reading the quote now. She told you, I can't talk. I've been instructed not to talk about this. You think the cover up goes all the way up to the FBI? Even the clerk even let us know that it was it was the FBI that was really stopping all of this. Um, wow. You know, we we camped out in front of her office and told her we would be willing to meet whenever she wanted to. And she she kept repeating that she couldn't talk. But she um, let us know that, you know, the reason she couldn't talk was because she didn't have any any of the ballots anymore and that she's been instructed not to talk by what she called higher law enforcement authorities. And we said, well, is it the FBI? And she she let us know that it was. And we, we went down to the police department and the police, the, the clerk and the police here did the right thing. You know, they saw these these fraudulent ballot, these ballot applications. They reported it. You know, you know, they, they deserve a lot of credit for doing the right thing here. I think there are a lot of other clerks who did not do the right thing in Michigan. And the police investigated this. And when they, when they came out to speak with us, they made no bones about it, that it was the FBI that was stonewalling all of this and stopping any investigation. And they even confided in us that, you know, they can't get answers either. You know, they they want to move this investigation forward. And I think they have more than enough to indict or prosecute these people, but they're being stopped by, you know, higher law enforcement officials, you know, and and it's it's been this way for three years. The statute of limitations on this is five years. So I think they're just waiting, they're waiting it out and we'll see the end of this in two years and it won't matter. No, there won't be any prosecutions. A sincere investigation into this case in Michigan may expose enough voter fraud to overturn the entire 2020 presidential election. 
and no one is looking into it. No one is reporting about this. I don't get it. The only ones being investigated for election fraud in Michigan are conservatives, Trump supporters. A town clerk by the name of Stephanie Scott is being targeted. 16 Republicans that are being called fake electors are being targeted, including a town mayor and the chair of the GOP in Michigan. This is all, of course, nonsense drummed up by corrupt Democrats to try to punish and intimidate honest conservatives. But when we find physical evidence of real election fraud, nothing. It just disappears, swept under the rug. Now, I would love to see this fraud investigated properly, but that can only happen if there is a critical mass of support for such an investigation. Enough YouTubers, alternative news media organizations, and mainstream news organizations need to cover this story so that the authorities have no choice but to look into it. I'm thinking we could even see a congressional hearing or a congressional investigation into this since the Republicans in Congress are the only ones with any kind of authority to investigate this kind of stuff and the only kind of will to investigate this stuff. I, at least I hope they do. But if this widespread voter fraud could be exposed clearly and more hard evidence could be produced in, in all the 20 states in which this GBI strategy organization operates, well, then Trump would be very quickly exonerated in the Georgia case. And maybe we might even see the 2020 election finally overturned. Well, that's it for me. And remember, it's not that the liberal friends are ignorant. It's just they know so much that is not so. Good night. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. Republicans are opening yet another probe. This one is specific to special counsel Jack Smith and the communications between his team and the Biden White House in the weeks ahead of the Trump indictments. Particularly one meeting that took place at the White House on March 31st, 2023, according to White House visitor logs. As reported by the New York Post, the meeting included Jay Bratt, a DOJ counterintelligence official aiding the Smith investigation. It also included an FBI agent from the Washington field office named Danielle Ray and the deputy chief of staff for the White House counsel. Her name is Caroline Saba. The log showed that Brad had two prior meetings at the White House, both in 2021, during which time the National Archives investigation was in full swing. Republicans say they want documents pertaining to these meetings. But Democrats are moving faster than Republicans can send strongly worded letters to the Department of Justice. In fact, D.C. Circuit Court judge presiding over Trump's federal case praised the special counsel for his speediness in a recent hearing. Judge Tanya, Tanya Shutkin, who set the date for Trump's trial to begin the day before Super Tuesday, noted that the government had never managed to achieve a mere five-month time frame between indictment and trial in any case she could, she could find in the past. And the good judge, if you want to call her that, is absolutely in amazement and astonishment of Smith's ability to so quickly produce discovery. What a wonder. No affront to the rule of law to see here, of course. And if it isn't clear to you by now that the Democrats and the government is openly rigging the 2024 election, well, then maybe there's no hope for you. Joining us now to discuss is a former Department of Justice Assistant Attorney General and a former state court judge, the Honorable Katie Sullivan, who we love having on our show because she 
practically breaks down the law and tells us where it applies and where where they might not be applying it accurately here. So, Katie, Judge Shuckin is absolutely amazed with the speediness of the Smith investigation. But are you? Uh, uh, no. In a word, let me say that the heart-stopping part of this as an attorney um, and really as a judge is when you look at 12 million, over 12 million pieces of discovery, as an attorney, you have an obligation to go through every single piece of evidence. I mean, whether the DOJ has marked it as you know, something that they're going to use or as crucial pieces of evidence, it doesn't matter. You have an obligation to go through every single piece of evidence and, you know, do your due diligence, research it. That is your obligation. With the time frame that she has suggested, I don't know how an attorney can almost provide competent counsel, not for their own fault, not because they're not great attorneys and the president doesn't have an excellent legal team, but because she just per has not provided, there's not enough time. It's like she's saying, well, you should have known, and there's a line in the transcript in which she says in this hearing that you sh this grand jury was made public record. Grand juries are confidential. <coughs> And while the DOJ leaked information about a grand jury going on, I don't see how any attorney in their right mind can necessarily rely on the mainstream media and whatever was being leaked out of that as actual evidence. So this is really concerning, um, but I think that there's a reason why they have to have this trial in March. I mean, I just have my own theory about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, and I alluded to my theory of that as well, which I wrote about in a recent Substack uh, earlier in the month, and I called this the latest plot against the former president, and in it I detail a, a group that is pushing to remove him from the ballot in certain states, but now there's an overall push to just remove him from the ballot via the 14th Amendment. And look, Katie, that is what it appears most of this is about. Do... I know you talk to a lot of people. Do people realize that this is an actual strategy on the part of Democrats? And secondly, let me ask you, based on the Constitution, can they actually be successful in having the former president and the leading contender for the Republican no nomination removed from the ballot so that voters don't even have the opportunity to vote for him? So that's two very different questions, right? And I just want to take your listeners, and thank you so much for that Substack. I mean, my husband, we were just reading and saying, this is everything that we are thinking about, right? Um, so, and seeing ahead of time. So after COVID and all the election rules that were put in place in order to deal with COVID, and the fact that almost every American put on the masks and stayed home, et cetera, et cetera. I have to say, do I think that, that we're prepared? Shockingly, no. Like just shockingly, it doesn't seem, I mean, good people like you and, and, and sometimes you read other tweets and people seem to kind of get it. But this is about getting a conviction on the record. And the most important conviction would be January 6th. And if there is a conviction for insurrection, 
then at that time there will be some not, I don't believe, constitutional or correct rules that will take him off ballot. Then what happens, and this is where the Democrats beat us, then what happens is ballots are printed. For some reason, shockingly, these printing offices tend to, you know, it's the process, it's the bureaucracy where we get beat. So as soon as those ballots are printed, and then remember this too, Emerald, I know you do, you know this, that that in this time, ballots are mailed out early. I mean, there's some states where people are voting in September. So as soon as those are printed and mailed without his name on it, whether you know there's been a Supreme Court ruling or not on the constitutionality, then all of a sudden you have these ballots and then you get that exact same argument that you were getting in, during COVID. And there's some hysteria about, well, if we reprint the ballots because SCOTUS overturned this, then you know some people may not have the right to vote. I mean, they are creating total chaos. This is a redo, in my opinion, of 2020. And Republicans really should be proactively seeking declaratory uh, decisions, declaratory uh, uh, decisions from the court, if at all possible, on whether or not he will be able with a district court conviction, and which will go up on appeal, because we all know that there's a lot of problems with these cases, a lot of due process problems, there's a lot of Fourth Amendment issues here. The, pro the issue is, is if it's on appeal, he still technically has a conviction. Getting a, having us proactively get a decision from a court saying he absolutely is entitled to still be on the ballot if he is the choice of the Republican Party and he has the right to continue on with his candidacy. If not, we're just going to be in utter chaos and the courts aren't going to bail us out. They didn't bail it, they did not do the right thing in 2020 in October. Um, they didn't review Pennsylvania. I, I don't see why we think we can rely on that now. I mean, the Democrats have the timing all lined up. So it's going to be almost impossible yeah, so you're to intervene. So you're saying that the lawfare should start now and that they should be ahead of the curve. So would you file these in different states and then hope that it gets expedited up to the Supreme Court so the Supreme Court has to face this question earlier rather than later? I, I think that's one way to go. It's very difficult to get a declaratory judgment. Um, that's just not something that courts like to do, like a what if or a hypothetical. That's not what they typically do. But we really do have a constitutional issue here. And at a minimum, it could tee this issue up for the court so they are prepared to move more quickly. If, in case of a conviction in March, um, there, this is this is, it's just so obvious to me what's going on. It's just so obvious, and I do know that legal scholars, conservative legal scholars, even you know, even Democrat legal scholars who are being honest, understand that President Trump constitutionally cannot be kept off the ballot or out of office. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to try, Emerald. I mean, it doesn't mean that this isn't really just about keeping him off the ballot. Ultimately, they have timed this just almost perfectly so that we don't have time to fight back. So, yeah, I would suggest at least 
looking at what we can do proactively, even if it loses, um, and then you know having everyone on notice that we need a decision very quickly in case uh, states move forward with this kind of action, which they're going to. Yeah, and they're telegraphing what they're going to do, which I felt they did in 2020. And the Republicans in the Trump campaign were kind of behind the curve in when they should have already had lawfare going. And so I think this is a very, very poignant suggestion. And I hope someone watching this will listen and take action because you know you're you're a former judge, you're you're an attorney, you're former DOJ official. Um, I have a couple quick questions for you before we run out of time, Katie. I want to get back to the White House communications with the Jack Smith probe. You've worked both in the Department of Justice and at the White House. You worked at the Trump White House. Is this uncommon? Is this atypical? Is this out of line for the DOJ to be communicating ahead of an indictment? Well, we're unprecedented because it's of a former president. We've never seen that before, right, in a political opponent in this way. But how out of step is this? Well, I think what's unprecedented is is the absolute denial of the White House that they had anything to do or any knowledge of what was going on prior to the, let's go way back now, you know, many indictments ago and the FBI raid on uh, from the D.C. office in Florida and the raid on the president's home. Um, so I have to say that they were so adamant that they weren't involved that it's it's like gaslighting to the nth degree. So to me, that is the shocking part of things. Um, did you know, I you know, I worked in grants. I did not litigate it when I was at the Department of Justice. I ran the grant programs. So I would just say that, yeah, my understanding is is that people from DOA would go over and talk with White House counsel and things like that. Um, it's just to even suggest that the, that the White House wasn't involved, wasn't informed. No yeah. one knew this is so separate. This is That's the part that is yeah. just disgraceful. Real quick, one more question for you. I want to go down to Georgia where um, a, a couple of the people indicted are asking for their their case to be transferred to federal court. One of those is the former GOP chairman down there, Mr. David Schaefer, who probably took the best mugshot. Well, it's, you know, Trump took the best one, but he definitely had a good one. Um, Schaefer is fighting back. Uh, what do you think about his request and should it be honored? He wants to move well, it to federal court. It should be seriously considered. So should Mark Meadows and uh, and uh, Jeff Clark and certainly President Trump. If they end up making that motion, I think that it's it's definitely a motion that should take be taken very very seriously. I haven't seen the responses to those motions or read them, so I don't want to give a complete legal you know analysis of it. I do want to make one small point though. And that is about these mugshots being tweeted. And I want to talk about just super quickly protocol. So typically a uh, sheriff's department has protocol around booking people and the information that they put out. It appears to me as if this Democrat sheriff in Fulton County broke all protocol. He broke his own protocol because he doesn't tweet out every mugshot every time. So he only did it for this, this case. Number two. He had a protocol which was to release mugshots for this case and this issue 
on four o'clock every day. And yet he put the president's mugshot out within an hour after they took it. So he broke his own protocol. That is something that is very troubling to me um, that they are clearly treating this uh, very different than they treat their regular cases for no stated reason whatsoever. That is, that is just blatantly political from these uh, Democrat, the Democrat prosecutor and sheriff and something that they should be challenged on. Yeah, at the very least. Yeah. Good to see you, Katie Sullivan. Thanks so much. Thanks, Emerald. What's going on, guys? Black Scout Survival. And have you guys heard of this? Probably not. Um, the FBI killed a disabled veteran. So there's been about zero media coverage on this. So I got I got a headline from a, a local news here. And you, you see one dead after FBI agent involved shooting at Henderson. And then that's about it. Involved uh, FBI involved in an arrest operation. Okay, so it appears to me um, that the U.S. government is uh, preying on weak. On the weak as a show of force. Okay. The, the last guy that was raided was murdered as well. And he was an elderly man that had to use a, um, one of those uh, scooter things to get around. He used a cane to walk. Right now, now they went and killed a disabled veteran. Um, the, the family desperately wants answers um, after the FBI busted down the door. Now, the last guy, they drove an MRAT through his freaking house and threw flashbangs in and, and raided and killed him. Um, and don't know if he was armed or not. Uh, so same thing with this. This was a pre-dawn raid, six o'clock in the morning, just like the last one. And we'll talk about the last one in a minute if you brush up on it, if you did not watch that video. But the FBI refused to tell the grieving mother, why they showed up in armored vehicles. And let me see, I got a picture of the, the, the actual from the the uh, the residence here. Actually, I don't have it. Anyway, it's, it's armored vehicles parked out front. Um, and 6 a.m. last Wednesday. So this is, uh, sorry, August 16th, sorry. August 16th. So, the this website wbjj the fbi showed up at the residence in henderson and to serve a warrant to a man named theater theodore deskler an arrest warrant when when things turned deadly um a neighbor said they'd woken up at 6 a.m hearing loud bangs i'm assuming the the, the flash bangs um and the statement goes i was waking up at about 6 a.m this morning i heard a loud bang then i heard a couple more and I heard loudspeakers come out with your hands up. We're the FBI, and we're not going anywhere. Before I knew it, it was coming. I was coming out to see what was going on, and watch them bust out the windows of the house. So, the mom was thrown in the back of a black SUV when she asked what was happening. The FBI agent replied, "None of your business." <laughs> it's none of your business to freaking bust out the windows in your house. Busting out the door, throwing flashbangs, snatch you out. Um, Theodore's family believes he was unarmed um, when they just busted down the door and threw flashbangs in. Um, it was a senseless act, they said. You know, Teddy was a 100% disabled veteran. He had problems. He had severe PTSD. He had depression and that he was getting help for. 
but this was senseless. He didn't have a weapon on him. He was just trying to get out of the house because it was filled with tear gas. That's what the mother's statement was. The house was destroyed, they said, by the tear gas, flashbangs, and bullets. Most all the windows were busted out. So they went and destroyed this house, gave the mother who, who owns the house no idea as to why they're doing it. They just did it. And the only explanation the FBI gave is that to kill a disabled veteran was that he was described as a right wing, which the FBI talked for a Trump supporter, right? You know, they're targeting Trump, obviously. And it looks to me they're walking around the country now targeting Trump supporters. Maybe maybe Teddy posted something online they didn't like. That's that's how bad they've got. We have freaking the southern border open. We have criminals running rampant throughout cities of America. And they're going to make house calls to Trump supporters that may have posted something online. I, I guess the real chilling question, is it because the, F, the FBI is killing spree this month uh, it looks like it's targeted political ass assassinations, in my opinion, against Americans being Trump supporters in uh, particular. Again, we reported, if you didn't watch that video, I'll put a link down. You can watch that. The first incident, which happened, so to, to this month, two Trump supporters killed this month. The first incident, which happened earlier in the month, and again, I'll put the link to the video below so you can go watch it was a 75-year-old Craig Robertson, disabled veteran as well. So another disabled veteran killed by the FBI. Um, he was a beloved churchgoer, very well-liked guy in his church in Provo, Utah. He was the sole caretaker for his blind son. So now his son doesn't have a caretaker anymore. All the neighbors down on the street Loved him. Talked about how great of a guy he was in the community. Said he was a valuable member of the community. And uh, was no, and, and everybody's church, everybody on the street he lived on, Craig Robertson, that is, said he was he was no danger to anyone. He literally had to walk with a cane. He rode around on one of the scooters to go get groceries. You know, one of the mobility scooters. You know, it, it's, it's wild. He was not a threat. You didn't have to drive an MRAP through his freaking house. And throw flashbangs in. You could have went and knocked on the door. But again, Teddy's the disabled veteran that was killed a few weeks ago or two weeks ago, a week ago. It was also a 6 a.m. raid. So that's their MO. So if you hear a loud bang at 6 a.m., it's probably because you're posting something online, a, a Trump meme, and they didn't like it. The other odd thing is, is none of the FBI agents in either one of these assassinations wore body cams. Now, there was an executive order in 2022 man mandating that all FBI raids had to have body cams. So the Biden admin just said, you know what, the hell with that. We're going to let them do it without it. You think they're going to be held accountable with Merrick Garland? Hell no. So that's where we're at. We have the FBI hit squad going around kicking in doors, throwing flashbangs, you busting out all your windows, destroying your home. So whoever lives there after you're dead, and, and let me remind you, they pulled Craig Robinson's body after they put rounds in his head. 
They drug him outside in the street and let him bleed out for a couple hours. And there's photos of them joking outside, shooting the breeze, while this man laid there dying. And then Teddy, a disabled veteran, battling PTSD. This is how we treat our veterans. The FBI goes around murdering you. Anyway. It's been a year since the, it's the first anniversary of uh, the, the Inflation Reduction Act. Been one year. Remember that act? Oh, we're going to bring it down. It's, it's freaking actually increased. It's, it's gotten worse. You can't buy or sell a home. You can't. You can't about afford to get gas. I had a friend tell me what last night he went to go get, he's got great credit, went to go get a car and they want to give him 6% interest on, on the car. It, it, it's, it's incredible. Good job, Joe, and everybody that voted for him. Those mean tweets were really bad, weren't they? You can barely put groceries on the table. To celebrate, I want you to name something in the comments that you can't afford anymore due to the Inflation Reduction Act. I'd like to know. Anyway, guys, um, I do. Uh, I, I wanted to share this because I ha have heard zero coverage of this. And, and it just pisses me off that veterans, our fellow veterans, are getting murdered by the FBI. And Joe Biden's America. That's where we are. Doesn't matter if you're armed or not. They're going to come with a hit squad. They're going to come with MRAPs. They're going to come fully equipped. Doesn't matter how many guns you have or none. That's where we're at. I don't know if you heard about this. Anybody local to the area, I know that every time I turn around, <laughs> someone that I've, I've, uh, I did a, a video of an area, someone's in that area knows like the labs in in the in, in Fresno. People are like, one guy was like, I live two two houses down from it or something. So let me know if you have heard about this. If you're in that area, or if you know Teddy, let us know in the comments and let me know your your thoughts on this, guys. And and have you heard about this? That's the biggest thing. Have you heard about this? How much the media is covering this up. The media is complicit with this, guys. They're trying to paint the narratives and, and just and, and allow these horrific acts to happen and cover them up. Also, guys, got a ton of content coming this week. A lot of serious things that you probably hadn't heard about. So make sure you watch, watch our videos. We'll uh, plan to do a late night live tonight as well. Um, I got some pretty, pretty crazy information I want to share with you guys. And remember, guys, stay frosty, stay strapped, stay dangerous. Take care.